evening. Good seeing y'all here. I uh, I decided I will give up Lent for Lent. So uh, we'll just get that out of the way now. I gave that up a long time ago. It's kind of like uh, New Year's resolution. You know, if you just give up making resolutions, that's the only one I could ever seem to keep. Um, if you could, you get the Sam- First Samuel chapter 15. And that's where we're going to be tonight. You know, we have uh, we have revival coming up, and uh, I'm pretty sure I said this last year, but if I didn't, uh, it really doesn't matter because it's just as uh, pertinent now, just as relevant now, if I said it or not. We got revival coming up, and we want to get something. We, we, we come in here, and you want to you want to uh, you know we, if you ask any one of us, I'm sure we would all admit yes, we want we want some revival. We want to get closer to God. But the thing is, it doesn't really matter who's behind this pulpit. I believe God could resurrect Dr. Ruckman himself and bring him back. But if you're not willing to do the things that God has said and, 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 and submit and be obedient, if you're not willing to break up that hard ground in your heart, and you're not willing to, to put aside the things of this world, and you're not willing to do the things that God has said to do, then it doesn't matter who's behind the pulpit. It's not going to change your heart if you're not willing first. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, we're going to get here. We're going to, I'd really like to just go through the whole chapter of 15 because, I mean, it's, it's probably two or three messages. I'm not going to do the whole thing. I'm just going to hit some highlights. But the title of this message is, Don't Bind That Which God Hath Said Kill. And a lot of times in our life, like we see, we're going to see here, we hang on to things that God told us to get rid of, to kill, to put behind us. We hang on to them. Uh, we, we know better, yet we, we do it anyway. Um, let me read a few verses here. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and then we'll, uh, we'll pray and we'll get into the message here. It says, uh, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Uh, now therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, uh, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Talim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Uh, and, and, uh, but Saul uh, and the people spared Ag- Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they, are, they destroyed utterly. Father God, I thank you, Lord, uh, for an opportunity to uh, come up here tonight, Lord, and to preach. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for this truth. Um, I thank you, Lord, we have something to stand upon. And the rest of the world around us is falling apart, Lord. We have your truth. We have your, uh, your word to, to stand on. We have Jesus Christ, Lord, that shed blood at Calvary. And I thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, I pray, Lord, you just calm my nerves now. Just uh, 
just move me out of the way. Speak through me, and I just pray something uh, said tonight, Lord, would just, uh, just help us, Lord. Get us in the right mindset. Show us some things from your word, Lord. It's not me that's saying it. That uh, It's your word, Lord, and I just pray you just use me uh, however you see fit. I love you, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to get revival here in the next week, you got to do some things. And it's not, I'm not talking about works. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm saying you gotta, you got to break up that hard ground. You gotta, if, you want, if you want a successful crop, now I'm not a farmer, okay? I, I'm not, I can grow weeds pretty good, although I've had some of those die on me occasionally. But I, I'm, I'm really not much in the way of, of cultivating. I don't have a green thumb or nothing like that. But I do know that if you plant seeds and you just toss them on top of hard ground, they're not going to take root. They're, they're not going to get down into the, the earth like they should be. They're, gonna, they're just going to lay on top, and they're going to get blown away, and they're going to you know, get, uh, get scorched by the sun and all that. You've got to break that ground up a little bit. You've got to dig it up. And that's what we've got to do with our hearts. If you want God's word to penetrate you, if you, want, if you want to get some truth out of this thing, if you want to prepare yourself for what we're going to hear next week, okay, you've got to get into his word, and you've got you to make some realization. You've got to use this thing like it's, it's a mirror. And you've got to look in that mirror and you've got to realize, man, I've, I've got some things I need to deal with. I've got some things that are keeping me from truly having that revival that I say that I want. I've got some things that are getting between me and God right now that's not going to uh, allow me to walk out of here at the end of next week uh, with, with all the benefits that he has for me unless I do some things up front, unless I make some preparations now. Remember years ago, um, you think I'm dumb now. You, you should have known me like, Many, many years ago, I was really dumb. Um, but I knew enough, I knew enough that I was saved, and I knew enough that I was going to go to heaven when I died. Now, maybe I didn't know much more than that, but that much I had. And I told a guy at work, he was a Catholic, and, and, and uh, I told him, and I said, you know, when I die, I know I'm going to go to heaven. And he said, well, that, that seems a little presumptuous. That seems a little forward. Uh, it seems like, you know, you, why are you, why do you feel that you, you know, are going to go to heaven because he believed in purgatory. And I said, well, that's what the Bible says. I said, Jesus Christ died. I trusted in his shed blood. I believe in him. I confessed him as my savior. I said, I'm going to go to heaven because that's what the book says. And, and he thought that that was wrong for me to have that expectation. See, we, it's not wrong to have expectations of God. Okay? He says he's going to do certain things. And, and he puts certain things in his book, and he, he makes promises. Now, it's, it's completely uh, correct for me to expect when I draw my final breath, when my heart beats for the last time, that I will wake up in the presence of Jesus Christ. Not because of anything I did, but because of what he said, and I trusted in him. And I trusted in that shed blood. Okay, so that's an expectation that is good to have. Folks, you can come in here next week with some expectations, and there is nothing wrong with that. You can come in here with an expectation. I don't know if this is on. An expectation of getting something from God. But in order to do that, like I said, you've got to take care of some things. You've got to, you've got to clean house a little bit. But what's wrong coming in here? You, okay, you go, to, you go to the grocery store. You go to uh, the gas station. You go to the, the restaurant. You have expectations. You expect to get served. You expect to get a meal. You expect to get something you pay for. Nothing wrong with having those expectations, but what's wrong with coming to church and expecting to get something from God? The problem is, most of the time, we don't come expecting to get anything from God. Yeah. We come because we want to save face. 
because we want to make an appearance, because we want to check a box, for any number of reasons, except for the fact that we truly expect to get something from God. Now, he's always willing to give it to us. But just like salvation, you've got to be willing to accept it. And you've got to be ready. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. I can't do anything for any of you. Okay? This, this is God's word, and this is a perfect example of somebody that, that went through a thing, not unlike what we go through today, and, and he, he came to a crossroads. You know what I like about David? When David was confronted with the truth, when David was confronted with his sins and his mistakes, he owned up to them. I like, when, when they said, you are, when Nathan told him, you are the man, he said, oh, man, you're right. He didn't argue with them. He didn't justify what he had done. He admitted it. He realized it, and he accepted it. Unfortunately, more often than not, we tend to be more like Saul. And we're going to see when he committed this sin, when he did the things that he did, he did a whole lot of things, but he never really owned up to his sin. And you get towards the end of the chapter, and we won't get that far. Don't worry about it. I won't, I won't preach that long tonight. But when, we, when, when you get to the end of the chapter and you realize, okay, he did worship and he did, I don't believe that he really truly meant that. I, did, I think he did that. When you read that text, I think he did it just, as I said earlier, just to save face, just to make a show of it. I don't think he truly meant it in his heart. Folks, you can have all the head knowledge you, you, you can muster. Anybody can read. And with a, 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 any amount of effort, anybody can memorize and, and commit this thing to memory. But if it never gets from here to here, then what good is it? I, I know lots of people that have committed Scripture to memory, and, and, and they appear to be spiritual. But you can tell through their actions okay, that, that although they, they know the words and they know what they say, they have no idea what they really mean because they've never put them into practice, because it's never gotten down here. Somewhere between here, there's a blockage, and it's just never been able to get that far. First of all, we see in these verses, Saul's expectations were clear, what God had expected from him. He had clear directions. Okay, he, he told him, I want you to go wipe these people out. He even told him why. You know, a lot of times God tells us to do something. We have, we have uh, uh, his Bible, we have his word. Uh, but he doesn't always tell us why. Sometimes he just says, I want you to do this. You're going to have to trust me. You know, I remember when my kids were little, I wouldn't always give them a reason. When they, when they get older, now I give them a reason because, not because I feel like I owe them, a reason to why I'm making the decision, because now they're getting older and they're able to think on their own and I want them to rationalize, I want them to see my thought process and I want them to understand why I'm telling the things that I'm telling them and the impact that it can have on them if they don't follow and they don't do it uh, as I'm saying. Uh, we get to the point where you gotta start thinking, if I do this, how is it gonna affect those around me? A four- and a five-year-old has no concept of that. They don't care about anything or anybody around them. All they care about is what they want to do at that moment. But when you start becoming a teenager, when you start becoming a, a, a young adult in your 20s, clearly you have to start thinking about your actions and how they affect others. So there's nothing wrong with telling your teenager, look, I don't want you to do this, and this is my thinking. This is why. I'm still, look, whether I give you the reason or not, I still expect you to listen to me. But this is what I'm thinking because I want you to grow and I want you to mature and I want you to start making these decisions on your own. 
So God gave uh, Saul the reasoning why. He said, look, these people, when, when, when the nation was coming up out of Egypt, this is what they had done. They got in the way. They tried to oppose them. And, and he said, I made a, a, pro, a promise back then. We we're going to wipe them out. He said, today I'm going to fulfill that promise. He said, I'm going to use you to do it. I've given you everything you need to do it. You've got an army. You've got 200,000 men. You've got everything you need. You've got the, the tools of war. You've, you've been equipped to do exactly what I've given you to do. I haven't asked you to do anything that I haven't prepared you to do. And it wasn't the difficulty of the task. As you find out, when we'll, we'll see that, that David, or um, excuse me, Saul got the victory. He defeated the people. He captured the king. He did everything that God had said up to a point. It wasn't the task that was difficult. It was the glimmer, the glimmer of the prize that caught his eye. It was the sin. It was, it, it was that, that, that thing that he could not have that was more appealing to him. And that's what we get caught up in today. We always want that which we can't have. God says, don't do this. Well, then all of a sudden, something we may not have ever thought of before, and all of a sudden that becomes our main focus because we've been told not to do it. We're, we're, we're just like little children in many regards. We, we do that which we know we shouldn't do. Read over there in, in uh, Romans 7. Talk about uh, Paul when he goes there. I don't, I, I'm going to just paraphrase. But I, I do that which I know I shouldn't do, and I don't do that which I should do. And, and, and that's, that's the way we are. That's sin. That's the, that's the two natures within this. And that's what we've got to struggle with. And, and you have to put one of those down. You have to put the old man down. You have to die daily to your sins. You have to pick up that cross daily. And that's where we fall short. Because that requires some effort. And mainly the effort there involved is turning our back on the world. And that's where we have problems. We don't want to do that. You have Achan over the, after the battle of Jericho. He saw something that he just couldn't resist. It was just too great for him. And then just like King Saul here, you had these animals. You had the healthy herds and the flocks that they would, would surely produce. I mean, these were fine animals. said they took the best they had. Surely they would have produced fine animals for years to come. They probably could have made a lot of money, got a lot of food, got a lot of clothing. That would have been a great flock to have, great herds to have. The king of the enemy, man, what a trophy is that? You get the, the, the king. You bring, you bring home the enemy king. You parade him around. You show him off to everybody. Other nations hear about it. It was all too great for Saul to, 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 to bear. He, he could not turn from that. He could not pass up that opportunity. His, his reputation would soar among men and among kings. Look at this. He captured, he captured the king there. He, he, he just couldn't do it. He couldn't, he couldn't follow God. And the thing is, I can sit up here all night, and I can talk about Saul, and I can talk about what he did, and this and that, and the whole time I'm talking in front of a mirror because we're no different and we're no better than he is. I'm certainly not any better than he is. And I know most of you, and none of, none of you are any better than him either. We make the same bad decisions that he did then. We have the same struggles that he did then. We have the same shortcomings. See, it might be different for all of us. For Saul, it was power and recognition and reputation. But for others, it may be, it may be money. It may be a position. But it, it, it's something different. It may be uh, possessions, maybe a, a, the nicest car on the block, maybe the biggest house, whether you can afford it or not, 
Whatever the case may be, we all have things that, that will take our sights off God, things that will pull us away from Him. We all have different struggles. And we all have that, that glitz and that glamour of the prize, whatever that may be, that's just too hard to turn away from. And just like Saul, we snatch defeat out of the hands of victory, just like he did. And just like Saul, we forget God's words, and, and we alter God's words, just like over there in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. Yea, hath God said, did, did God really mean that? Now, how many times have we done that in our lives? Now, maybe you didn't actually utter those words. Maybe you never really said, well, did God really mean this when he told me not to do this? Your words, your mouth may not have spoken it, but your actions have, your deeds have, because of what you've done. Otherwise, you'd have done what God told you to do. But you didn't. And in reality, you're just questioning God. In reality, you're changing his words. Well, that, that might apply to them. But see, my situation's a little different. See, folks, sin is sin. And when it comes to God, when he says, I want you to obey, he wants us to obey on all parts. See, 1% hesitation is 100% disobedience. Now, I've stolen that from Dr. Peacock. He hasn't said it in a while, so I figured it was free for me to use. Um, but like uh, Brother Evans told me one time, he said, everything's only original once. I came to him and I said, he said, I'm guilty of plagiarism, brother. I stole one of your messages. He said, well, it's only original once, so have at it. So we see here that the sin often fools us, even though it can't fool those around us. Look here in verse 13. It says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Boy, he's just so proud of himself. He's just... just I mean, he is on cloud nine. He comes up to Samuel, prophet, priest. He, he just comes up to him, and he's just thrilled. Look what I've done. He goes, man, not only did I get this victory, not only did I capture the enemy, not only did we take their, their best, but, man, I, I did exactly what God told me to do. I'm something, aren't I? I, I follow God's commandments to a T. See, that's the pride of sin right there. See, he, he, he was so proud of his victory. He was so proud of the, 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 uh, the prizes that he brought from that thing, the, 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 the spoils of war. He was so proud of his actions, he didn't even realize what he had done. He didn't even realize that he had sinned against God. Because, see, in his mind, he did what God told him to do. Because he only did what he wanted to he only heard what he wanted to hear. And God said, no, I, you, you partially did it, but you didn't go all the way. Look here in verses, uh, let's look at 14 and 15, and then 19 and 21. And Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? So Samuel comes up, or Saul comes up to him and says, man, I, I've done everything. Look at this, man, isn't this something? I got this victory, I did what God told me to do, and on top of everything else, I've been a good little boy and did exactly like you said, and I've kept his word. And Samuel says, really? You, you've kept his word? Saul says, oh, yeah. He says, really? Yeah, of course I did. Why do you think he gave me this victory? He says, well, then what's all these animals I'm hearing? See, what, what's, what's this, 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 these sheep that I'm hearing? 
Folks, you got sheep in your lives right now that are bleeding and, and, and whatever noise they make, they're making noise all over the place, but you can't hear them because you're blinded to God's word. You got animals right now all over the place. You got spoils of war in your life right now that are screaming at a high heaven of what you've done and you're, you're totally blind to them. Everybody around you can see what is going on, but you're too close to the situation and you're too full of self-pride, and, and, and you're not recognizing what God told you to do and what you did and did not do, according to his word. And you say you're speaking in generalities. Well, of course I am, because we've all got different things in our lives that we're dealing with. But whatever the case may be, whether we're doing it now, whether we've just had some, some run-in with sin, or whether we're getting ready to, see, we deal with situations just like this. We deal with these, these enemies that God says, I want you to utterly defeat them. I want you to put this from your life. I don't want you to mess with it anymore. And we play with that thing, and we toy with it, like, and we act as if we have some control over the situation. And when in reality, it's controlling us. Verse 15, And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Let's drop down here to 19. Uh, it says, Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. So we see here the justification of his sin. See, he did the same thing a lot of us do today. He played dumb. I remember a lot of times I reference old TV shows that many of you probably either have forgotten or want to forget or maybe never even heard of. But there used to be a, a little, little kid, his name was Gary Coleman, he was on a show, and uh, um, you know, his, his, his parents were, or his, his step or whatever would say something, and he'd say, what you talking about, Willis? You know, he'd play dumb. He'd act like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. See, I, I, I'm, I'm totally unaware of the situation here. You know, what you talking about? It's kind of what Saul did here. He just did a little more eloquently. See, he just played dumb. He passed the buck. See, he, he just, I like how the king... And this isn't the only time he's done this. He blamed the people around him. He is the king. He's in control, or he should be. But every time he messes up and there's others around him, he passes the blame to them. Isn't his, isn't, wasn't it his job as the king to ensure that God's words were carried out, that God's commands were carried out? See, God didn't go to those people individually and tell them what to do. That word was given to Saul. It, to him and him alone, he was told, you need to go down there and wipe out these people. You need, you need to, to utterly destroy them. God didn't go to those 200,000 footmen and tell them individually. He told the king. And it was the king's responsibility to ensure that the people did as God instructed him. See, and he failed. But then he turns around and he blames them. And then after all that, he still claims to have followed God's word. See, he had the words, and he had the command, and he, he knew what he was supposed to do, but he was blind to the intent. 
He, and, and, and this is what, twice he acknowledged what he had done. But he, both times he was blinded to the sin. He acknowledges the fact that they saved the best of the animals. He acknowledges the fact that he spared the king's life, Agag. That's not what he was told to do. He was told to destroy it all. But yet twice he acknowledges his sin without even recognizing it as sin. And see, that's what we do. We acknowledge the things that we do, but we, we, we put a spin on it. We, we twist it around. Because, see, we want the enjoyment of that sin, and we want the benefits of that sin, but we don't want to have to be held accountable for it. And then we'll blame things around. You know, a lot of times I think the devil gets more credit than he's due. I think we're our biggest enemies in a lot of, in a lot of instances. We defeat ourselves. We defeat ourselves through self-doubt. We defeat ourselves through, through not getting into the Word. Not, we defeat ourselves by not praying. So we, 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 we figure it's just enough to come to church a couple times, two, three times a week, sit in on Sunday school, maybe download a message. We figure that's good enough. And that, that is good. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to dissuade you from that. But that's not enough. Okay? If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to truly get fed, then it's up to you to go to the table. It's up to you to go to the refrigerator and crack it open and get some food out of there. And sometimes you need something a little more than just the milk. Sometimes you've got to dig around in there, maybe get towards the back, or, or, or maybe look under some other stuff and get that strong meat that's within these pages. But see, we don't want to put forth that effort. It's too, too much work, too much, too much effort. It takes too much time away from the things that we would rather be doing. And therein lies the problem. Our priorities are out of whack. We, we value the things of this world more highly than the things of God. And that's what Saul was doing here. Like here in verse 21, he says, But the people took of the spoil. Like I said earlier, the people may have kept them, but it was still his responsibility to pass on the word, to say, you know what, don't keep these. Don't, don't, don't. We, they were doing what was natural to them. They had no reason to go in there and wipe everything out if they didn't know that they were supposed to. And if the king never conveyed that message, see, then, then that was his problem. That was his fault. And see, what he wanted was a, a nation full of people with the best of everything. Because he wanted to stand out among the kings. He already stood out among people because of his stature. But now he wanted to stand out because of the, the wealth of the nation and the power of the nation. The problem is he left God out of that equation. The command was given to Saul. It was his, God, it was his duty to God to enforce it. And he failed. But when you think about it, how could he condemn the people for not doing what God had commanded them when he himself did not do as he was commanded. God said, I want you to destroy everything. I want you to wipe them out. He said, you know, well, we, we just kept them because we wanted to offer you the very best, Lord. Yeah, because that's what we do. When, 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 when God calls our number and, and, and finally points out to us what we've done and, 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 and we have to come face to face with that thing, then we say, well, well, Lord, this is the reasoning I did it. See, again, we go back to that justification. We say, well, I, I did it for you as if God needs our help, as if he really needs us to help him alone. 
to, to, to make him look better. See, folks, that's, God doesn't need that. He'd rather have our obedience. We'll get into a little bit here. But see, Saul couldn't condemn the people for something that he too was guilty of. He didn't kill the king. And when you, one thing that struck me, when, when you get down to the end of this chapter, and I have to wonder about this, it says there in verse 32, Then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agag the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is, is past. It jumped out at me. It says, And Agag came unto him delicately. It just simply said that Saul captured Agag. But yet, Agag, when approaching Samuel, says he came unto him delicately. Something tells me that Agag had recognized something in Saul, that he wasn't as worried and he wasn't as fearful for his life with Saul as he was Samuel the prophet, the man of God. See, when he saw Samuel, he realized he saw something in him. He said, uh-oh, wait a minute. There's something different about this guy. Amen. See, he's got God's word, and he's communing with God daily, and he's following God, and he don't really care what anybody thinks of him. And that scares me because he's different. Now, see, King Saul over here, well, he's a lot like me. We're, we're like this. I'm not that. I'll, I'll talk my way out of this. We're, we're going to be all right. But now we're putting Samuel into the mix here, and, and things just changed because he's not of this world. He, he looks different. He acts different. He talks different. He thinks different. He's not like Saul. See, that, that jumped off the page when I had seen that. And all of a sudden, I realized... If you've got a lot of friends that are lost, and if you are friends with this world, it's because they don't see anything different in you. There's no reason for them to cast you aside. There's no reason for them to turn away from you because you're just like them. You talk like them. You dress like them. You act like them. And I think that's what happened here. I think he recognized something in Saul. And he said, you know what? I'm not as worried about him. Maybe I don't want to be captured, but I think I'm more more value to him alive than I am dead. But when it came to Samuel, all of a sudden, that, that whole thing changed. That equation changed because all of a sudden he knew that Samuel wasn't concerned with the things of this world. So we talked about the lie, the sin. We talked about the, the justification. And now just real quick, let's look at the truth. Verses 22 and 23. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken the fat of rams. For rebellion is, is as of the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. I had a guy tell me one time, argue back and forth, and he said, uh, we weren't arguing, but we were going back and forth, and, and I... I uh, I asked him if he ever accepted Christ. He said, no. And I said, so you've rejected him. Well, I didn't reject him. Well, sure you did. No. See, he thinks rejecting is, is you, you uh, uh, purposefully or intentionally turn your back on him. What he doesn't understand is by not accepting Christ is a rejection. And I, I tried to get that through to him. He didn't want to accept it. Well, right here, 
because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, there in verse 23. See, King Saul didn't outwardly speak and utter the words, I reject the word of the Lord. But he rejected the word in his deeds, in his actions. He rejected the word of the Lord by not keeping the word of the Lord. And that's what we do. See, we, we, we may not openly condemn God or his words. We're not going to do that. We're not going to be so brash. But yet we'll do it in our actions and deeds. And we'll do it when we think nobody's watching. And we'll do it when, when we're, we think we're in the, sh- the, 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 the shadows and nobody's aware. And maybe nobody is aware that God knows. God's aware. And he's keeping a tally of all this stuff. We're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to have to give account for all these actions. And see, we, we, we lose sight of that. We see here that the intention is secondary to the instruction. Whether, kings, whether King Saul's uh, intentions were good or not, that's of no consequence. That, that's not what is being questioned here. What, Sam, uh, what Samuel said is, look, without your submission to God, without your obedience, the sacrifices mean absolutely nothing. So you say you kept these animals because you wanted to sacrifice them to God. But what good is that when you're offering a sacrifice that he didn't ask for to begin with? See, so you're doing something that he never asked you to do. All he asked for you to do was just a simple obedience, go in there and wipe everything out. You think God couldn't provide the animals for a sacrifice if that's what he truly wanted? But that's not what he was asking for. He was asking for obedience. And just like in our lives, he asks for obedience. He asks for submission. So you're never going to truly be obedient unless you first learn how to submit. And man, that is a tough thing to do. We expect it of our wives, but yet we think we're above it as men. Had a guy one time ask me, he said, he, he was newlywed, uh, just been married maybe a year or so. He said, how do I get my wife to submit? I'm thinking, oh, God, what do I tell this guy? I'm like, oh. I'm like, and I said, and then, you know, it's, God gives you some things of clarity here. You know, when, when you ask him, when you truly come to him, he says, and, and the next thing I know, I said to the guy, I said, look, I said, you want her to submit to you, but how can, how can she do that? when you're not setting the example. And he just looked at me. I said, you're not going to church. He said, you know you should be in a church somewhere, but you've gotten out because you didn't like this or that or whatever was going on. You should be in church somewhere, right? Well, yeah. Okay, well, you're not submitting to God in that regard. I said, you're the spiritual leader of your household. I said, if you want her to do what's right, then you first have to do what's right. Man, that's what we need to do. See, we expect our wives to just toe the line, and we think somehow we're above it all. And that's what King Saul did here. Folks, we're not above it. We're just as much answerable to God as our wives are to us. See, we're the, we're, he put us as the spiritual leaders of the household, to, and, but not to rule over them with an iron thumb. See, he expects us to be the example to them that he was to us. See, just as he wash the feet of his servants, we too are, are, are to be a help to those around us. We too are to be an example and, and uh, to, 
to, be, uh, to have that attitude of, of, of servitude and to be servants to those and to help those, not just worried about ourselves. See, all the works that you do, all the studying, all your words and all your deeds, everything that we, we think we're doing, that, that outward appearance that we're just working so hard to polish and to refine, without the submission, without the obedience, and if it, if it doesn't have that preceding it, then it's all worth nothing. See, it's, it's gotten you nowhere, because now it's just acts. And you're falling back into that same group of people that, that put ashes on their forehead. Or, or that same group of people that feel that they have to, to take on a certain penance. Or that same group of people that feel that they have to blow themselves up in some holy jihad. You're acting like those that feel that they have to work to get salvation. You're acting like those that feel like they have to work in order to keep something from God. See, the fact of the matter is it was free. And you accept it. The discipleship, though, is not, not the free part. That's the part that costs you. See, that's the... I talked earlier about expectations. God has expectations of us. And I believe that God says, if you're going to bear my name, if you're going to use that as a moniker, if you're going to use that as a title, if you're going to use that as an identifier of who you are as a Christian, if you're going to bear the name of my son that willfully shed his blood for you, then I have some expectations of you. I believe that you should be different in the world. I believe that you should come out and be separate. I believe that should be reflected in your speech, your words, your actions, your thoughts, your, your dress. Everything about you should be different than the world around you. See, those are the expectations he has of us. But see, the world hears the word Christian, and they say, well, you're not a Jew, or you're not, you're not Hindu, or you're not a Muslim, or you're not any of these other things, so you must be a Christian. See, they, they, they try and, and uh, take, they, they try to, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Take the deity out of the word Christian. Just like they do with all these other translations, all these other versions. They, they try to take Jesus Christ and they try to remove the deity from him. And that's what, they, that's what the world does to the term Christian. They try to remove the deity of Jesus Christ. God has expectations from us. And if we're going to claim to be Christians, there is power in that name. And he expects us to live and to act a certain way. I remember one time, you know, there... It amazes me. There are certain moments in life that you just never forget. And you realize as soon as they happen that this is something that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. Now, sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. You know, but th there are things that happen all through life that just stick with you. Now, remember, this is one of those moments. I was down there. It was a Tuesday night. This has been a few years now. And I was dealing with a guy, a younger guy. And uh, he had some questions. He had some Valid questions. He wanted to know about salvation. He, ha he had a lot of uh, confusion, and he wanted to hear some things. And the other guy just kept interrupting. He just kept getting in the way. And he just, he just kept, and finally, I, 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 I lost it. And I said, in the name of Jesus. I said, one of these days, you're going to stand before Jesus Christ, and you're going to give account for what you're doing right now. You're going to give account for getting between me and this guy when I'm trying to help him, trying to give him some truth. You tell me there's not power in that name. I saw this man's face, his whole countenance change 
When I mentioned the name of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, that whole conversation shifted. Now, folks, if you think there's not power in that name, you're sadly mistaken. There is power in the blood. There's power in the name. And when you tag, if you, if you, when you claim to be a Christian, when you put it out there, then you should be prepared to act like a Christian. You should be prepared to act Christ-like. Look, we're all going to have moments of weakness. I get that. But if you're going to wear that name, if you're going to put on that moniker, if you're going to go proudly telling people, then make sure what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're thinking. Says, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Make sure what's in your heart and what's coming out is of Christ. Otherwise, just keep your mouth shut because it's a horrible testimony and a really bad witness. I know that firsthand. I worked with a guy, and he, man, whenever it benefited him, he claimed that he was a Christian. But the rest of the time, finally, I got just so fed up with this guy, I didn't want to talk to him anymore. I'm, just, I'm, I'm tired of the way you're acting. You're no more Christian than I am a, 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 a monkey, okay? Now, some of you may think that I'm a monkey. I don't know. But anyway, what I was trying to get across was he may be saved. And I had said this a while back to uh, last time I was down at the ADC. I had made a comment, and I said, you can be saved. That doesn't automatically make you a Christian. And I saw this one guy out of the however many were there, six or eight guys that were there, and, man, it he all of a sudden, his, he had this look on him. He looked like a monkey doing a math problem. He just could not mind, wrap his mind around what I had just said. I said, sir, I said, look, I appreciate, first of all, your honesty, even though he maybe didn't mean to be that honest. But the thing is, this world automatically calls you a Christian because you're not any of these other things. You've got you to work to be a Christian. You can, you can be saved, okay? And that's free. But in order to have that, that term, Christian. It requires something. It requires a sacrifice. It requires what I've talked about here tonight. It requires breaking up that ground. It requires coming face to face with that sin like David did many times and admitting your failures, admitting that you're wrong. It requires that you, you, you look at it and you say, you know what, Lord? Yeah, this was my intent. This is what I was going to do, but you're right. It's not what you want me to do. And it requires taking the truth and the one who spoke it at face value and accepting it. Okay. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this message. I just pray uh, it will be a help to us. We're going into revival. Um, Lord, we, we can't have revival if we don't get things straight in our heart first. So I just pray you'd help us to uh, just get some things worked out and uh, be ready when your man gets here next week, Lord. I love you, and I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.